We're bringing you this podcast in partnership with our friends at Virgin Money, the home of brighter business banking. For us, it wasn't only that we were rescuing produce, it was also, it was a perfect medium to talk about um, the issue of food waste, to talk, uh, to educate people, to bring awareness and educate people and try to change mindset and behaviors. So there was these two elements of uh, actually doing something about it, but also changing um, uh, behavior and, uh, and actually kind of sharing what we were learning along that journey. Welcome to The Jump, the Virgin Startup podcast, bringing you the unheard stories of the founders behind some of our favorite startups. I'm Ben Keen, and today on the podcast, we find out how couple Emily and Deepak left the corporate world on an unlikely mission to rescue wonky veg from landfill with a subscription box service, only to see orders explode during the pandemic, turning their business, Oddbox, into a household name across the UK. those early days of the pandemic. Empty shelves in the supermarkets, people queuing outside the shops to take home all the dried goods they could find. We just didn't know what was going to happen. Supermarket delivery slots were hard to come by, so people started looking for new ways to get their groceries. Enter subscription boxes. They've been around for a while and lots of us were getting fruit and veg delivered every week, sometimes from local farmers or independent retailers. But once Covid hit, these types of businesses saw a lot more interest. And one name that kept cropping up around London, at least, was Oddbox. Oddbox was launched in 2016 by a couple Emily and Deepak. Both had been working corporate jobs, both were disillusioned and wanted to do something with more impact. And after a holiday to Portugal, wandering the food stores and enjoying the often misshapen but delicious produce there, they had their light bulb moment. And like you do when you go to mainland Europe, you go to the local market every morning to buy fresh produce, bread, and experience all the local produce. And there we saw these huge, ugly tomatoes, um, which uh, we we would never see in the UK, but actually they tasted delicious. And so that kind of made us wonder why we just couldn't find such produce in the UK. Their idea led them to uncover a problem and a gap in the market that was massive. And that's what um, led us to do more research into the food supply chain and realize the uh, actually come across the issue of food waste and realize how much waste happens in the system and the fact that we we obviously overproduce a lot to be able to get perfectly looking fruit and veg that we get on the shelves in the supermarket. Back home, they started gathering misshapen fruit and vegetables from markets in East London and selling them via a simple subscription service, and Oddbox was born. Today, it is one of the fastest growing delivery services in the UK. But not everyone who has an idea on holiday turns it into a business. So what made them make the move between seeing these ugly but tasty tomatoes, having a chat about it and thinking, could there really be an opportunity here? I I think it was a few different things. So obviously... I'm not originally from the UK. I grew up in northern France. My grandparents were potato farmers. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. We had a big garden. And so we used to eat, uh, grow and eat a lot of our own produce. And so I've seen what produce look like when they come out of the ground. Uh, Wonky carrots, uh, different size and shapes of um, all kind of produce. And 
when and then I moved to uh, live and work in India. And again in India, so uh, Deepak would uh, know, um, you get mangoes two months in the year, um, you get uh, tiny bananas. And so when we moved to the UK, there was already a bit of that shock of uh, uh, having everything available all year round and the cosmetic perfection of the UK produce. And I think that kind of reminded us of uh, the the what we saw in India, what I grew up with, and that's what prompted again that um that urge to actually really uh, understand the issue more. We didn't necessarily think about uh, that uh, as a business, and actually the business idea came from um uh, com- seeing. Uh, two businesses in the US who had started something very similar to Outbox. And we thought that's actually brilliant ideas that they've had of rescuing this wonky fruit and veg and sending that directly to customers. Because for us, it wasn't only that we were rescuing produce, it was also, it was a perfect medium to talk about um, the issue of food waste, to talk, uh, to educate people, to bring awareness and educate people and try to change mindset and behaviors. So there was these two elements of uh, actually doing something about it, but also changing um, behavior and uh, and actually kind of sharing what we were learning along that journey. Yeah, very quickly, this this went from being a little investigation, which I can now, it makes more sense to me that, that this is part of your, your roots uh, in, in food and travel and, and seeing different cultures and their relationship with food. But very quickly, turning into quite an ambitious vision. And, and Deepak, I'm curious about when on this holiday we feel, oh, we're going to build a business together in the future. Or, or when did that become clearer? So I was, um, as you know, was working in investment banking, um, almost disillusioned with the whole work from nine to five in a job I didn't really enjoy. Um, like the job, but not the kind of whole environment of a kind of capitalistic focused on solving man-made problems. Uh, and I was looking for something uh, beyond that, something with purpose. Uh, and at some point I joined, you know, escaped the city uh, to discover what that purpose could be. And I really quickly discovered that it either had to be something to do with fitness or, or food and certainly had to be something to do with helping people, not just making money. So that was not the end, end goal. And I think the um, imminent fitness, I think I was quite clear that it had to be changing behaviors and mindsets. So that was the thread that was already there in the back of my mind. Now, I had just started my online kind of fitness community um, uh, through becoming a personal trainer whilst training people in Clapham Common, uh, you know, in, in kind of cold, cold winters. Uh, and then Emily was, had started coming up, came up with the idea, started, uh, you know, the deliveries to customers. And she needed help. She needed physical help, packing the boxes, delivering the boxes, doing a bit of marketing. And I thought, hey, so I'm doing this personal training. I need to be fit myself. Maybe lifting the boxes is not a bad idea, right? So <laughs> I just joined her on the journey. And surprisingly, I think we did, we, we did about a, a, a short campaign uh, in, in November, about six-week campaign just to test the idea. And then we pressed pause because it was winter and we didn't have really a clear business plan. When we restarted in summer, Emily was working Monday to Friday, nine to five, and she didn't. She just thought there was a lot to be done here, and she just didn't have the time and the capacity. And I thought maybe I, you know, I was speaking to customers. I'd spoken to customers. I got a lot of feedback. There was. I thought there was a lot more 
to explore here with Oddbox. And personal training could wait, you know, for a, for a, for a later day. So essentially, I kind of took over the reins from, from Emily then uh, and, and decided to kind of learn and, and run with it. So that was... That and was and in hindsight, that's a, that's a big decision, right? Both for you personally, but also for, the, for what now Oddbox has become. Did you, at, the, at that moment, did you recognise, Emily, or how did you feel about this, this sort of shift of Deepak coming on from, like, cheap hired labour, you know, <laughs> to, to being a partner in this and, and really trying to take it forward? What were the emotions? I, so I, I don't think we have really uh, thought about it. Uh, actually, there was a lot to do. And, uh, uh, and obviously, uh, Deepak had more time than me. And uh, uh, he could lift more than me. And it was just more enjoyable to be packing the boxes together, going to the market at four in the morning together, than doing it uh, on my own. So, um, so yeah, I... So it's not that we decided we're going to start a business together. It just happened. It just happened. And so tell us a little bit more about that. So, so the, the model in the, that, those early summer, that summer trial was uh, go and buy the wonky fruit and veg from the market early in the morning and then what, hand, hand sell it to the back of restaurants and, and shops? Was that what you were mm. doing? No, it's always been actually kind of the, the home deliveries. So even when we did the initial six-week trials, uh, actually, uh, so we had uh, 20, uh, so we had been able to get 20 customers. Uh, so some of them are friends uh, and some of them actually we uh, flyered our neighborhood uh, um, to uh, get people to sign up uh, to that six weeks trial. And we were delivering the boxes on Saturday early morning. So going to the market at four in the morning, packing the boxes, putting them in our car and then uh, just delivering uh, around the area. And uh, so that's always been kind of that uh, uh, D2C home delivery model with the fact that uh, for us, we're very much grower-led. We never know what's going to be in our boxes. Yeah, so for you, the challenge was, could we find an audience that was open to a grower-led uh, box, of uh, an odd box? And what did the business model, the pricing look like, Deepak, in that early stage? Did you, get, did you both get excited about, well, there's a scalable business here, or you're like, wow, we have to sell a lot of boxes to pay the bills? Yeah, I think it was, it was, we didn't have um, an idea about scale and how big the business could be. Um, I, so, I don't think we really started that yeah. thinking it's a business. Yeah. We started it with there's an issue. Um, I was still working full time, so it was more of a weekend um, and evening. Obviously, it, it was very time consuming, but it was still kind of a side hustle at the start more than... Um, We've got a business. We're going to raise investment. Here is our five-year vision. So it was very much, uh, let's try to find some customers. Let's see. Let's get some feedback. Let's refine. Um, so we didn't really kind of, uh, uh, think about, uh, okay, we need to achieve that much revenue in six months' time. So it was much more... Let's let's see and learn and uh, but, and uh, evolve. And that's true. For the first two years, we bootstrapped, so we had no idea about how big this business could be. You know, we were just doing it. Let's just get survive and you know build the business. And we didn't have any idea about should we fund the business, what do we tell investors. In fact, the first meetings with investors were car car crashes because we couldn't answer a lot of those questions. So we had to kind of ah, let's prepare an FAQs now. You know, and get our answers in order. So it, it was purely done out of let's solve a problem and focus on a, on a, on a, on a, on a larger problem, a problem bigger than us, rather than, okay, let's build this 
you know, a nationwide or Europe, Europe-wide or global business. And in fact, the first, just to kind of talk about Virgin Startup, in fact, the first loan that we took was through Virgin Startup. And um, that helped us put some sort of a structure and rigor around our thinking. So there was a business plan template. You know, we had someone to speak to at Virgin Startups. We had a better mentor assigned to us. And I think that was quite important because we were not thinking about a business plan and risks and what do you do with, if, if things don't work out or what's the market size? And I think those kind of questions when you run a business, it's easy to not think about it. And, you know, um, and, and I think focus on the execution, which is really important. But I think it's important to step back sometimes and think about the, the bigger picture. Yeah, especially once you, but, it, but actually doing that, more often than not, it happens the other way around. We all go away and write these wonderful business plans, which look great on a yeah. slide deck or on paper, but there, there's a reality you have to confront. Does it work? Whereas what's what's great about your story with Oddbox is that you, you validated the idea at a small scale very, very quickly. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what uh, I, I think, unlike uh, for, uh, quite a few people that maybe even now we speak to who uh, come to us and ask for advice. For us, at the start, we were just, uh, we didn't have a brand. Uh, so our logo cost uh, the first one 50 pounds, the second one 300 pounds. That was the extent of the branding that we did and that we ran with for the first four years, actually. Um, and uh, our first boxes were just plain cardboard boxes. We were just putting some stickers with our logo on top. So it was still very much uh, bootstraps. And let's, let's see if customers like the product. And then maybe we'll think about the branding. And I guess it's just because our background is more in, uh, in finance and operations that that's how we uh, that's, started. That's what, that's what you needed to, to prove. I, I just can't believe Deepak, you charge Emily three hundred pounds to design a logo. That's uh, that's, uh, that's unbelievable. I know you were unemployed, but <laughs> our um, website was thousand pounds. So you know, it's like oh, uh, okay, okay, that's a good deal. Yeah, um, we got a few people to help us. <laughs> yeah, but but you are you. It's very clear that uh, that you had a very strong you know mission and purpose, and you were solving a problem. I'm curious to in those two years of which is a long period of time of bootstrapping and trialing and, and so on before you got kind of serious in, in inverted commas about building a business. What did you learn about the problem of uh, food waste? Where did it go from from that discovery in the market through to, you know, doing this for a couple of years? And what did you learn about your customers and, and, and their engagement with the problem and, and, and your service? Yeah, so I, I would say in terms of what we uh, learned, so uh, what we expected is that we would contact growers and they would be uh, welcoming us with open hands. So saying open arms, saying, okay, uh, uh, please take our produce. We've got uh, all these wonky produce that we're not able to sell. Uh, here they are, uh, take them for free. And, uh, and uh, we'll send them to you. Um, so the reality was that we were so small, we didn't know what we were talking about, that it was more uh, just go away, uh, we are not interested. And by the way, if you want any produce, you can come and get them from the farm because farmers just grow, they don't deal with the logistics. So that's, that was kind of a big realization that um, 
Uh, actually, uh, the fact that we were such small scale meant that the interest in our proposition was limited. So we had to uh, spend a lot of time building that network. So first of all, uh, Deepak spent quite a bit of time convincing the uh, first growers uh, to work with us. And then we recruited uh, Gavin, uh, who started as an intern, is our uh, head of operations now. Um, and uh, he was the one who actually had uh, a background in fresh produce and had some contacts. So help us build that network. But that was that was tricky. So um, and uh, and on the uh, so what we discovered as well uh, along the way is that uh, obviously there's a lot of specification on produce, but a bigger challenge is around surplus more than uh, wonky. And that um, uh, quite often uh, produce are perfectly look good quality and uh, and look perfect in terms of size, shape, and color. But there's just too much. There's a crop flush, and there's just no market for that. Got it. And and Deepak, your your customers in these early days were when did it go beyond friends and family, and and you realized like oh there's a there's a real passion from people here to support this solving this problem. So first, kind of marketing um, channels, uh, if you will, uh, where essentially us, me, door delivering flyers, uh, which is in a local area and where we live uh, in southwest London. And then the other channels were local markets where we would go visit. And when we were initially kind of speaking to customers, um, there was this, ah, it's, it's a wonky, wonky uh, wedge box. Okay, I get that because, you know, supermarkets, uh, you know, sell wonky ranges. But there was also this question around, do they come from the supermarket skip or, where, you know, why is it food waste? So there was this kind of misconception about food waste, uh, number one, which we had to kind of talk them through and explain and educate uh, that there was food waste happening on the farm and the reasons behind. And the second question was around price, the, the expectation that it has, surely it has to be dirt cheap uh, or cheaper than supermarkets because it's somehow imperfect and not perfect enough and again we had to explain the the fact that labor sometimes is the is a and, and the transportation and the storage sometimes is more expensive than the produce itself it's, you know and, and, and the produce is absolutely fine it's just it's not fit for soup so i think there's a lot of education in the early days but to answer your question i think the early adopters of that the first 60 100 customers when we reached the first 100 customers we were me and emily would visit them when we deliver our boxes they would have you know, email conversations with them. We even shot videos with them. The feedback that we were getting from them was extremely positive in terms of how it helped them cook better. It was like Christmas every week. Um, and so that was well, quite... Wait, on, that, on that cooking better, what do you mean? Because that's fascinating. What, what was the relationship with the food? I think people who shop, usually shop in supermarkets, they would generally go and buy the same produce week in and week out, what they know, what they can cook something up with. Whereas a veg box is seasonal, it change, it, it's, it's essentially us curating a box, seasonal box for um, our customers. So it forces them to cook with a cold rabbi, for instance, or with something unusual um, that's not, that they're not being used to, that's not available in supermarkets or a squash, a type of squash. So I think that forces people to experiment and, and increase their cooking repertoire, uh, but also you know, eating seasonally and understanding that. But a big part of what we do as well is we put a letter in the box which explains the provenance of the produce, what's happening on the farm, how are things that happen in the market uh, affecting the availability of produce, for instance, weather patterns. So relating 
what's happening around us to the food that we eat is quite powerful in terms of educating customers. So, so yeah, big education piece with Oddbox, but you got your early adopters. When did you feel like this, the Oddbox went from, okay, we validated the idea with, with these early adopters to we've got momentum here, we've got a business case that we can turn this into something more than what we do in our spare time? It's surprising, actually. We never thought about it, but Christmas, uh, a couple of years, one and a half, a year and a half after we started, I think it's 2017 Christmas, we visited France and we um, visited one of Emily's cousins, who's an entrepreneur himself. And he was, we were just talking about Oddbox, here we are, we've got a few customers, you know, 500 customers or whatever that we had at that point in time. And he said, oh, there's this huge potential that I can see with Oddbox, you know, there's this direct-to-consumer, there's this kind of, uh, you know, farm-to-fork model, you talk about education. And, you know, it, it really, that conversation opened our eyes to what Oddbox could be. Because here we were thinking, we've got 500 customers, maybe next year we can become 1,000 customers, you know, we can just bootstrap it again. And suddenly there was this entrepreneur who'd been there, done that, saying, where's your vision, guys? You know, this, is, this, is, this could go big here. It was a kind of eye-opening moment for us. Clearly, we had more time to think about it, you know, in that kind of break as well. And we came back and said, right, okay, let's now start raising investment and taking it seriously. Let's go find ourselves angel investors and, and really take us to the next level and expand beyond Southwest and Southeast London as well, which was, was, which was a geographic coverage at that point in time. So I and, think- and I think as well, at the, at the same time, we were starting to uh, get a lot more traction as well. So uh, that Christmas after that, so I think we closed the year with uh, 700 customers. In just the month of January, we got 300 additional customers. So we, we really started seeing more of that traction, we were getting press, um, so we were getting lots of referrals, we were starting to get, so some of our customers actually were influencers and were posting about us, so there, there was a bit of kind of accelerated traction that we were seeing and we were also part of an accelerator and talking to uh, other entrepreneurs and being in that ecosystem of with other people who are building um, kind of a, uh, their own business. So we realized we were at a stage where um, there was, we could prove real traction. And um, the fact is we had spent hardly anything on marketing. And so we realized that uh, with more marketing spend, we could actually accelerate what we were doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the best time to fundraise, right? When, you, when you've got momentum. Um, I want to. We'll come on to the to what happened during, you know, in the pandemic shortly. But just on the supply side, a question I've heard being asked in this space is like, well, how much wonky and surplus fruit and veg is there? Because it's great to see significant scale you're having and other businesses are having. But is there, a, you know, how big is this problem to solve? So uh, globally, so actually, ten years ago, the FAO did a research which showed that 30% of the food we produce is wasted overall. Uh, WWF released a report earlier this year which says it's actually closer to 40%. So the size of the problem is huge. And out of that, um, 50% is actually uh, things we waste in our own homes. So we buy too much and then we throw a lot of the food that is out of date or that um, uh, we uh, we don't or just sits in our shelves. 
um, and 30 to 40 percent happens at farm level. So that's a huge amount of uh, overproduction and actually surplus food. And there's this subtle thing, isn't there, around the education piece or the, or the reframing from a, from a consumer and citizen's point of view from waste to abundance, isn't there, or surplus and abundance? Because once you start looking at it like that, you're like, oh, it just needs a better distribution model. And here comes Oddbox to, to help play their part. Um, so so uh, Deepak, we spoke, um, I think it was in May 2020, so two months into the first lockdown of the COVID pandemic, and you had this crazy story of what, you know, what you were in the middle of, like so many businesses. But um, tell us where you were just before COVID hit, and then what happened in the subsequent months. Yeah, so just before COVID hit, I think it was just the early kind of just rumblings of, oh, there's, there's something happening in, in terms of a pandemic. We were going, oh, there's not much, we're not seeing anything different in our business. You know, I mean, in fact, we, we went away on holiday to, uh, to Sussex and we kind of, um, we, we, whilst we were there, or, you know, we had your team you know, communicating to us, we Slack to say, we've got 10 times the orders coming through on a daily basis, hitting our website. And, you know, we, we don't know what, what we do. And, you know, we, we... you were like, we should go on holiday more <laughs> often. <laughs> exactly that, exactly that. Um, and then we, we decided to kind of stay open. And at the, you know, the, the same week, they kind of called back and said, listen, I think it's gone out of hand here. We, we, you know, people are ordering eight boxes uh, at the same time. So maybe we, you know, we should not compromise on our customer experience. Let's take the website down. So we took about the website down for about three weeks to shore up our supply chain. Hang on, hang on. You took your website down, which is your shop, Yeah, right? exactly. That's, that's, that seems that seems to like an entrepreneur, like a crazy thing to do, but like, tell us more. Yeah, so all, so we, we, we run a subscription business, so we were still fulfilling boxes for our existing customers, but we couldn't take any new customers on board just because we didn't have the supply chain to handle it. I mean, we could have done it, but I think it would have been at the expense of, uh, you know, customer experience, missing boxes, poor quality produce, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the team took the right right decision at that point in time to say, listen, we can service these many boxes, but actually anything more is is uh, is going to be detrimental. So I, I think we've, within just a week, we had double the number of uh, deliveries that we had the previous week. So it was already a challenge uh, in for the team because... It's actually pa physically packing boxes with fruit and veg, and then delivering the boxes. Wow! I mean, it's it's not yeah, it's not like you're running a SaaS product where you're just like we need ten more servers. It's like no, we need a, a whole new supply chain infrastructure. So, how did you both feel in that moment? Because obviously, the chaos of what was going on in the world outside a really exciting but stressful moment for the business. So exciting from a business sort of growth opportunity, but stressful from an operational and team perspective. So how did you manage that together and like, and what happened next? So actually, um, our team was amazing. So they immediately contacted our partners uh, uh, discuss how we, uh, they could increase capacity. We took on some, um, we some, uh, contracted some cons consultancy labor to help us um, and reached out to our network to uh, get on board more suppliers. And and actually, a lot of the suppliers had lost their food services business. So there was no shortage of supply. So it was just diverting 
um, any surplus from food services into odd box. But uh, uh, that still uh, took, uh, so uh, and uh, everybody was working from home. So we had already been working for, from home for the two weeks before that. Um, so, and uh, people were used to partially working from home. So that wasn't too much of a, uh, a challenge, but we continued. Um, so we kept our warehouse open. Um, we, so we, so it, it was a lot of work and uh, actually, um, uh, it, every, but everybody was very motivated by the opportunity. Absolutely. And of course, compared to many businesses, uh, people were losing their jobs or getting furloughed. So um, there's a real purpose there. And did it continue during the, because obviously COVID has been you know, locked down and then out and then locked down and out. Did you see dips as you went, came out of lockdown or did the, the demand just um, keep coming, keep coming? And where are you up to with it now? Yeah, so the demand continued um, for most of uh, 2020 and into the start of 21. And we actually saw uh, some dip starting from the lockdown release, so from April onwards. So uh, people who had been with us through the uh, lockdown uh, went back to uh, shopping more in retail. So we saw a dip in actually the frequency of purchase mainly because people were going a lot out uh, were going out a lot more so with restaurants reopening uh, actually people didn't necessarily feel like cooking as much of course and and is it when you say a dip is that literally like you went down in sales or is it you weren't growing at the same pace what sort of volume of deliveries were you we, doing yeah we went down in sale so we saw uh, a peak then for us there's uh, so it uh, it went down in summer 2020 a bit but we always see a softening in the summer and it was when there was a partial um, lockdown uh, reop- release so reopening of restaurants and the uh, eat out to help out scheme and then again September we saw an increase in demand and there was a further lockdown uh, December and early uh, 2021 so again orders went up and then after that we saw a drop which is uh, so bigger than what we usually see but uh, there's a lot of seasonality um, anyway in our business uh, with uh, holiday periods being uh, a lot softer in terms of the demand mind you but one thing we uh, the 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 tool that we have to counter this kind of slowdown was also the geographic uh, geographic expansion so we were not in all of the UK. So what we were continuously doing, the team was continuously working on, was expanding to newer and newer postcodes. And now we're up to about 60% um, of coverage of the UK. And we're kind of planning to go, uh, you know, to cover Scotland next year and, you know, other plans that are food. But so we were using the slowdown in our kind of current customer geographic area to expand to new geographic areas and kind of get more people uh, eating in a grow-led way. Fantastic. And, the, and you've done a lot in the, certainly I've seen in the last six months around telling your story and communicating uh, the, the, the scale of the problem. And obviously it's very aligned to the, the conversation around the climate crisis and around obviously our, our, our food infrastructure in somewhere like the UK, which, which appears to be broken in so many ways. So let's talk about where we're at today with Oddbox, because it's a remarkable story so far, but from where I'm sitting and listening, it feels like it's still, you know, just the beginning, certainly in terms of tackling the problem or playing a big part in it. Um, 
what you've recently raised some money uh, which tell us about that and also where the, where the business is and what what's the priority in 2022 so yeah the 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 key priorities are continue our geo expansion so how do we get our boxes in you know front of more, more people um, but also how do we ensure that we uh, make sure that the product fits people's lifestyles as well. So I think, you know, we've, we've done this a lot where we've given, here's a veg box, off you go, we don't know what you do with it. And we've seen that people either, you know, reduce their purchasing frequency or they just say, this is not working for me. So uh, I think there's a there's a big uh, part of our journey where we don't want to create food waste in people's homes. So how do we ensure that our product and our service fits their lifestyles as another? So there's a big kind of, range evaluation as well. Something we've also been considering is, um, this is sometimes there's a huge glut of produce in our suppliers and we can't always find a home through our wedge boxes. So could we do something with it, like taking that big glut and creating a shelf-stable uh, type of product that we could sell in our boxes? So that's another thing that we're exploring that could enhance our customers' cooking experience. Um, and and a big you know and I think a big part of that investment that we raised uh, was essentially to kind of leverage our investors' connections in the kind of uh, the, the the publishing publishing world and get the word out, um, but also uh, you know to understand from their portfolio companies how does it work in 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 the in the in the wider market you know they've got some big portfolio names like Blumenwald and Etsy and not on the high street and so on so understand uh, how that works um, so uh, and yeah so I think those are the kind of main um, levers for growth uh, in the next year but I think and, in the and next, one, yeah, yeah one of our pillars as well is about uh, being a catalyst for change and uh, what's what that means it's not about uh, what uh, we do at, as uh, box. it's about uh, how we can uh, drive more conversation and more action and more awareness Around, around food waste. And that starts with doing that within our community. But our ambition is that actually um, we're able to... Uh, so our ambition is for food waste to be actually as famous as plastic waste in in a good sense uh, of the way that there's as much focus on food waste as there is on plastic waste. Yeah, well, it certainly feels like it's getting there from where I'm sitting. Um, just a final question from me for you both is... Um, and. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know you've done it a lot recently, but it's it is it's incredible and so important and educational as well. Um, but just reflecting in this moment now, what's been the what's been the like the highlight and the, and also the biggest challenge of of this journey so far for you both? So the highlight is uh, the fact that uh, so because we're a purpose driven business, uh, there's so much kind of love for what we do. Uh, so we've got an amazing team. So we've been able to uh, uh, build. Uh, an amazing team of people who are so talented, but are also really passionate about what we do. So that's kind of the benefit of having a, a purpose-led business that you attract kind of um, really good people who are passionate about what you do. In terms of our broader community, um, uh, whenever uh, we uh, talk about uh, Oddbox, uh, then we got lots of people saying, oh, we love Oddbox. So it's... Uh, it's it's amazing to get that feedback uh, on a daily basis. In terms of challenges, uh, so there's there's been uh, a lot of different challenges 
along the way, the supply has been a challenge. Uh, being a, a logistics business, especially during the pandemic, uh, has been a huge challenge in terms of labor, in terms of the HDV crisis. So uh, there's, uh, yeah, there's continuous challenges uh, with uh, uh, the operations. And what about working with this guy? <laughs> Highlight or challenge? That's, that's something that uh, people always ask us. Uh, We've, it's been great. Actually, we trust each other a lot. We know we know each other a lot. So it's never um, been a challenge. And uh, even though we've got a similar background, we think in quite different ways. Uh, so we've got quite different approaches uh, to uh, to problems and and uh, to uh, some of the challenges of the business. And and Deepak, when you when you come home from work, I know you've been working at home a lot. But uh, do you have rules about? W- where Oddbox can be discussed and where it can't be discussed? Not really, no. We just discuss it when and when, and when, you know, when and, yeah, we discuss it on, on holiday. I mean, we don't feel as if we're discussing work. It feels like we're discussing a, a, a problem which needs a solution. So uh, it feels like another, another baby. So uh, we don't feel like uh, it's work. Fantastic. And, and Deepak, finally, what are you excited about looking forward? I think it's just the, uh, the, the fact that we just seem to be at the beginning, although we've just you know, we've done six years, we seem like we've come a long way, we've done a lot of, achieved a lot of, uh, a lot of things, but it feels like still in the beginning of the journey in terms of where food waste is and part of the wider conversation, um, in terms of you know, ge- you know, geographic reach as well, but I think changing behaviours is not an overnight um, action, right? So it's going to take many years to change people's behavior. So I think that'll be the ultimate success uh, you know, factor if people come and say, you know what, I've really changed my, my perception about food, where it comes from, how I cook now, through Outbox. And we've got a lot of people saying that that would be the ultimate success for us. What are one of the things I love about your story and, and talking this morning has re- reaffirmed it so much is that you know, you just follow your curiosity, you focus on a problem, you take small steps. Um, at, rather than setting out this, we're going to disrupt this or we're going to change that. There's almost a lack of ambition. I, I, you're clearly very ambitious with this now. But the lack of ambition or the lack of trying to say we know it all or we're going to fix all this has been one of the reasons you've succeeded as well as your partnership. And of course, tackling a problem that, that's desperately needed uh, to, to be solved. So... Um, we're, we're really proud of you from Virgin Startup, like following your journey, um, playing a small part, and we're so excited about what comes next. Um, and thank you for your time today, Emily and Deepak. Oddbox. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thanks for having us, Ben. This podcast was produced by Goldfish Studios for Virgin Startup. Visit virginstartup.org for more. I've been Ben Keen. Thanks for listening.